This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour, as usual, with you and to help you become a better investor, to keep you focused on the facts, not the narrative, not the story, but the facts. And stories are fun, stories are interesting, but that's not what makes businesses. That's not what makes good assets. Sound economics, sound business models, that's what makes good investments. So our job here is to prepare you for the reality. The reality is likely different than what you hope it's going to be. And therefore, you have to adjust your expectations accordingly because we all wish utopia, a world how we imagine it to be so. But the reality is always different. I've learned that throughout my years is that what you expect to happen, both in your personal life, in the broader uh, broader world, is often different than, very different than you ever imagined. I mean, how many people four years ago thought we were heading straight into a global pandemic that would create so many social and economic problems, right? So these things, they come often where you least expect it. And that's where the risks are. The risks that people see, the risks that are understood, are rarely the risks that cause major problems. Because they're hedged. They're well-known. They're priced in to a degree. They could cause volatility. But overall, it's it's not creating a lot of forced sellers. A lot of people to panic and freak out because it's something that they haven't seen, they don't understand. That's what usually causes panic in markets. And in in general life, people freak out based uh, on things that they haven't seen before and they don't understand. That happens in, in markets all the time. You had the financial crisis, the complexities of uh, a levered and complicated balance sheet of large banks, something vast majority of people don't really understand. Even professionals didn't understand the extent of the problem. You know, we back then, we knew there was a housing bubble. We didn't see the extent of the impact on, on banks, for example. And so 
it's it's your job to a when those things do happen to have stronger nerve and not to be influenced by those broader headlines and your emotions so that's what we are here to help you do to rein in those emotions understand your strategy and give you unbiased perspective and data that we've developed with over 20 plus years of investment experience and you play an important role to this show and it's about your questions bringing your questions to us and guiding the show along i'm the host but this isn't about me this is about you and so i bring topics that i think are relevant and i think are important but nothing is more important than the questions that you have. So the Vestock phone lines never close. It's 888-99 chart. You can call anytime and ask your question. Now my main focus point today looks in the story behind this question. Is capitulation at the market's market's highest levels coinciding with a subtle shift in the market narrative? And I talk about this all the time how sentiment swings back and forth typically to extremes, one way or another. The market almost, it rarely ever is at kind of a middle ground, a fair value. It's like a pendulum. And so last fall, the pendulum was swinging very bearishly. Sentiment was very bearish. And now since then, we've had a pretty consistent rally with a minor banking crisis in between. And the question is, sentiments now swung fully the other way. So we're going to look at that story. Also, what are the top 10 housing markets with the highest percentage of price reductions? So we're going to look at that list and also give some insight into which ones matter more than others because it's not the absolute number but how that deviates from long-term averages so we're going to look at that data also bank stocks have rallied especially the smaller ones the earnings reports were broadly decent and the kbw banking index has rallied pretty nicely since the beginning of july but the credit markets are saying something different. So we're going to look at that. And then lastly, tax credits for making your home more energy efficient. And that is set to roll out later this year. So I want to dive into that topic overall. All right. So that's what's on my mind. We have some voice bank questions to get to. One is on student loans and the other is on upstart. And I have this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk. So give us your calls live at 888 charts. Chart, not charts. Chart. <laughs> all right. Now let's take a look at the market today. It was a very choppy day. We ended up very pretty flat, flat to minorly down. You had the broad US market up 0.02%. The mid caps are down about 21 basis points, 0.21%, and then small caps are down 15 basis points, 0.15%. So it was a day where we started off positive, we sold off, we rallied uh, late mid midday, and we sold off later in the day. And once again, kind of ended flat. S&P 
ended up one point. So, you know, we are we are approaching the. We're, we got, we got. Let's just say this. We'll be back. Let me back up. We had some inflation data, and that's what rallied the market early, I think. And it was, hey, the core CPI that decelerated again. It was month over month uh, the same rate it was uh, last month in in June, and year over year it was a tick down. So that was positive. The broad CPI, that actually ticked up a bit, but still kind of around that 3% level, which I think is higher than the Fed likes. But I think I don't think that they are dissatisfied with 3% inflation rate, especially after such a big move higher in interest rates. You know that those rate hikes are slowly still feeding into the economy. And... There's a debt situation that they're dealing with that they have to be mindful of as well, kind of underneath the surface. So the market reacted well initially to an uh, inflation number that was pretty sanguine and nothing to write home about. And that's what the market wants. They don't want to see a reacceleration uh, in inflation. And you kind of got that. Uh, you're, you're pro- it's probably going to be a lot harder for inflation to really – to get down to that 2% in the near term. Most of the easy deceleration inflation is behind us. Going forward, it's going to be harder. And there are a lot of cross currents. And obviously, the market with that reversal today kind of showed that. Uh, and once again, we are in the back half of the year. And August, September, and sometimes October tend to be pretty volatile months. So it wouldn't shock me to see a continuation of this pullback. 4,200 is kind of where I'm expecting this pullback to end, but that could be weeks or months from now. Now, as we head into a break, let me tell you about the new video feature we are producing. It's called the Invest Talk Sector Spotlight. It is now up over on YouTube, and it's our second episode, and it's about the energy sector, where we go over the war in Ukraine, as well as the fallout from the COVID crisis, and where the pitfalls in the energy space are, as well as the opportunities. So head over to the YouTube channel and check out the Invest Talk Sector Spotlight. And right now, our phone lines are open waiting for your questions at 888-99-SHARK. When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99 Chart. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready 
with their unbiased answers. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-SHARK. Hey, Stephen Justin, this is Pete from Staten Island, New York. First of all, I love what you guys are doing, expanding over to YouTube and Twitter. Um, it's nice to see you guys in different media forms throughout the day. I had a question regarding my student loan situation. I've been working for around a year now. I'm making around $80,000, give or take, after bonuses and other incentives. And I have around $20,000 in student loans. I was wondering what your advice or opinion would be regarding those $20,000. I do have enough assets and cash. Um, I would be dipping into my stock portfolio and my savings account. But I do have enough to pay it off cold turkey, get rid of them, which is kind of my gut feeling on what I should do. But I also am seeing a bunch of new things every single day in the news. I think there's a new program, a save program that they just introduced, where if you have $12,000 in student loans and you pay them off for 10 years, you can get that credit kind of wiped. It, it's all a little confusing, and I don't know what is going to actually be the case in 10 years. So I just wanted your opinion and your thought what I should do. Should I cut them clean cold turkey so I never have to look at the stupid student loan website again? Or should I save the extra few thousand dollars and pay them off for the next 10 years? Thank you guys. And I look forward to the answer on the podcast. Well, I am not up to speed on the student loan forgiveness programs that are out there. I know Biden tried to create a broad student loan forgiveness program, and that was kind of shot down. Uh, there's always different programs that certain people can qualify that can probably help. And I'm sure there are some of those that are out there. So I would pursue those. It probably is a pain in the butt and you have to fill out some forms and, and, and navigate these things. There might be some experts to consult. I am not one of them uh, and try to, I, I would try to exhaust those avenues first and whatever's left over, then I probably pay off. Now, a lot does depend on what those rates are. You didn't specify what rate you're paying on, on the student loans, but if it's anything north of say 5%, definitely probably makes sense to, to pay that off uh, simply because remember you're guaranteeing yourself that that return on the money when you're paying off those those loans because you're not you're not paying the interest so I, I I agree with you my gut is always to try to pay down debt when you can uh, but if there are government programs that can assist with that there's nothing wrong with with pursuing that as well because then day you are a taxpayer so uh, I think your your gut makes sense okay now, my main focus point today looks into the story behind this question. Is capitulation in the markets at the market's highest levels coinciding with a subtle shift in the market narrative? And we're heading into a break. But on the other side, I want to touch on what some of the more high-profile investors are starting to say about the market as a whole. And it's pretty interesting because many of them have been bearish for some time and this often happens that the most bearish people get kind of stopped out. They capitulate when everything looks the rosiest and oftentimes even bullish uh, investors who have made a lot of money in a recent market move. They're, they're happy. So they don't sell. So the people that are short, they cover. The people that have been long, they think it's going to go on forever and they don't sell. And oftentimes that combination can mark a, a, at least a near-term market top. So we're going to touch on that topic after the break. But please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Or if you're listening via the live stream on AM 1220 Radio in Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART. 
one of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Now, my main focus point today looks in the story behind this question is capitulation at the market's highest levels. And we know that the market's been on a nice run really since last fall. And as I said in the top of the show, there was pervasive bearishness. bearishness. Everybody I was talking to in the fall was so down on stocks and and they thought everything was going to hell in a handbasket. And in hindsight... As is usual, it's usually the best time to buy. When it's the hardest to buy, when it's the hardest to say, oh, there's no way this thing's going to turn around, that's when actually is the best time to buy. And vice versa, when people are so happy and elated, all the money's in, right? And one sign of that is that those that had been bearish for a long period of time finally give up. And in June and July, short covering was the lar- was the largest over a two-month period in the past seven years. And this is according to Goldman Sachs hedge fund clients. So these are among Goldman Sachs hedge fund clients. So hedge funds, although they sound like they are great, a lot of them are just vacillating in the wind. And... You even see some large strategists, Morgan Stanley's chief strategist, Mark Wilson. He's had negative views on the market all year. And he recently turned, well, bearish, but less bearish than he had been. And well-known large activist investor, Carl Icahn, he's also been bearish, but his recent letter this month to his investors said he pledged to focus less on hedging stocks to express his bearish views. So giving up on shorting stocks and focusing more on activist investing, which is what he tends to be good at. So you're starting to see that shift. And that shift is actually when you want to get more cautious. That's one of the reasons I've been saying this is a period where you'd be a bit more cautious. Now, does that mean that all of a sudden we're going to have the inverse of what we just saw over the past Let's call it 10 months. No. Could just mean we need a period of risk off that gets those bears back on board. That shakes a little of the confidence in the bulls. And go back to a more neutral or maybe we go all the way to a bearish sentiment again. We shall see. But there are signs that this run is at least near-term, coming to an end. And then the, back, the the fundamental backdrop of the market also is a bit weaker than I think even the bulls have been expecting. Earnings for the second quarter were down 7.8%, and going into the quarter, it was expected to be about a 6.4% decline. So you're seeing earnings overall mildly disappoint. And then most importantly, you have Fitch downgrading U.S. debt, as well as the regional banks, as we talked about earlier. 
and the 10-year back above 4%, which is where we kind of were in the fall. That's where the 10-year peaked. So if we get a breakout, and that's going to be a big factor here. Do we get a breakout well above 4 maybe in the 45 to 5% range? That would certainly be bearish for stocks, especially the growth stocks, which we know have led the market higher this year. Because that creates multiple contraction. And then you look at the cost to hedge. It's pretty low. When the cost to hedge is high, everyone's prepared. It's hard for the market to have a huge, a big drop when everyone's prepared. Well, hedging costs remain low. They're, the VIX is below its long-term average of 19. It has increased as of late. So it is up a little bit from its lows. It's trading at about 16, 15, 85. At the close today, the low was right around 12 and change. So it is, is higher from there. But it's below the longer-term average. And once again, seasonality is a factor as well. So going into uh, September, October, times where there tends to be more volatility. So I wanted to highlight that because it is important to keep an eye on that sentiment. That typically is what drives markets in the near term. Fundamentals are important longer term, but sentiment and flows and, and, and sentiment drives flows in a big way. There are some consistent flows that happen due to 401k investing and uh, robo-advisors, things like that, going into indexes. That's pretty steady. The marginal buyer tends to be funds, hedge funds, individuals that whose sentiment ebbs and flows. And it's ebbed in the fall and it's flowed nicely this year. But that, that flow from those more active investors always comes to an end at some point. And that typically is when sentiment gets too extreme the other way. Now, on the next Invest Talk, we will look into the story behind this question. Why is insider trading so difficult to stop? Insider trading occurs when a person or entity makes a profitable trade based on information that is not available to the general public. That story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive 
at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hi, Steve and Justine. This is Sade from North Carolina. I have a question about ticker symbol UPST Upstart. Can you please suggest, if at all, this is a long-term good stock? What should be the entry point? Thank you. I will listen to your answer in the next podcast. Bye. All right, looking at Upstart, and this was one of the high flyers in 2021 before growth stocks peaked out, and this was kind of the epitome of it. It peaked uh, right around $400 per share and hit a recent low around $12 per share. Yeah, let me repeat that. In late 2021, it hit around $400 per share, and its 52-week low is $11.93. Now, this had a nice rally so far this year. This is another example. You just see kind of the the similarities. If you just overlay, this is an extreme growth stock. It rallied dramatically this year from a low, let's see, end of last year, right around that $12, and hit a high of 72 and change just uh, last week. Now it's all the way down to 32. Yeah. Let me repeat that again. This is as, almost as volatile a name as you're going to find for anything with a market cap north of a billion dollars. Current market cap is 2.6. So it was at 72 and change just a week ago. And now it's at 32. And that was on earnings. Revenue is down 40%. Yeah, you heard that right. And this is a perfect example of them weaponizing the, na- the, the AI, right? This is a cloud-based AI lending platform that sh- shares between consumers and lenders to enable effortless credit. So it's a platform that lenders can go, they use AI to say, hey, these are you sh- who people you should lend to, here's who you shouldn't lend to, et cetera. And I think this could be an interesting name eventually, but their business model hasn't really caught on to a big degree, as you can see with the decline in in sales. So is there a price that this is worth? I mean, it's supposed to make 63 cents next year, lose 44 cents this year. It's too all over the place. Uh, I I don't have a a, a place to, to buy this. I need to see the business settle out and it's not doing so in a profitable manner. So I'm passing on upstart, okay? Now, let's touch on the 10 housing markets that have the highest percentage of price cuts. Now, let's back up here. And we know that this is the time of year. We're starting to get to the end of summer. School, the school year is approaching. And so if you're trying to sell during the summer busy season of home buying, this is the time where you say, I might need to cut my prices if I really want to sell it soon. And there's been a surge in the amount, the percentage of listed homes that are having price cuts. According to Realtor.com, it's up to 21.1% as of July. That's up from 17% in the spring. 
These are all homes listed in the U.S. And this is likely to continue to go up probably until the fall. That's usually when it peaks. So just a heads up there. Now, regionally, the mountain west of the country, that's where most of the price cuts or the highest percentage of price cuts are, are happening. Colorado, Utah, Idaho, about 27, 28% of listings have price cuts. The lowest, actually the northeast and the midwest. Housing market remains pretty tight there. Low inventory, resilient economy, uh, et cetera. Rhode Island, Connecticut, and New Jersey had price cuts all below 10% in July. Now, what are the biggest, what are the cities with the most price cuts? Number 10, San Antonio, 31%. And this is the this is Texas' third largest metro area. And this is the highest in San Antonio's experience since 2016, the highest percentage of price cuts since 2016. So one thing when I go down this list is to understand also which ones are historically high and which ones are just high for this list. So San Antonio, historically high. South Bend, Indiana, home prices appreciate over 30% since 2020, but the recent price cuts are showing that's probably too much. And 32% of listings there are have a price cut. Huntsville, Alabama. And this was this is a had a lot of economic growth as of late due to the Lockheed Martin being there, Blue Origin, NASA, a lot of jobs in the aerospace, engineering, software development areas. But the boom in prices are coming uh, coming down in a big way. 32.7% of sellers cut their price in Huntsville, Alabama last month, the highest on record for the month of July. Ogden, Utah, number seven. And this is north of Salt Lake City. Utah is one of the weakest housing markets in the country outside of Northern California. And nearly 33% of sellers cut prices in Ogden last month. That's still down for the 54% last year, but still much higher than long-term averages. So that's been actually weak for a, a while. Denver, Colorado, that's number six, 33% in July. Now, that is actually not that high compared to longer-term averages. It's fairly normal. It's one, there, there are certain markets where it's normal to price high and then cut over time rapidly reduce the price to find that equilibrium in the marketplace. So that one, while it's higher, it's not unexpected. It's not uh, above longer term norms. Dallas is number five. That's also right around 33%. But once again, kind of normal for Dallas, very similar to what happens in Denver, Colorado. Waco, Texas, it's at the highest level of price, price cuts going back to 2016. That's at 35%. So Waco, Texas, uh, certainly weak. Colorado Springs. And 42.5% have price cuts in that market. That is also historically high. Austin, Texas. This is probably the weakest market in the country overall. And... Prices are still too, they've come down. Prices are still too high. A year ago, the number of price cuts was at 60.7. Now it's at 44%. So down from where it was last year, but the longer term average is closer to 30%. It's at 45%. Fort Wayne, Indiana actually clocks in at the highest, around 44%, which is elevated from its historical norms, but 
historically it's closer to 40%. So it's one of those markets also where they tend to overprice it and then cut. Um, so that was the overview. There's a lot in the South. Once again, the, the Western part of the United States uh, where they got the big boom in prices and now that's coming down. Obviously anything related to tech certainly is, is weaker than, than most. All right. Now that was the housing market, but we are well into the third quarter and we talk mostly about the equity markets here and the broad, broad asset markets. And, you know, we went through a 30, 40 year period where interest rates fell from a high in the early eighties, all the way to just a handful of years ago. And now interest rates are going up. Inflation is going up. It's a new market environment. And so the big question is, are you prepared? Are you going to be whipsawed by the sell-off last year, the rally this year? It can be difficult to, to navigate. So I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, where we practice parallel investing. It means you invest right alongside our clients. And if you want us to take a look at your portfolio and see if you are prepared, we offer free portfolio review assessments via telephone or go to meeting. You can just head over to investtalk.com, click on the portfolio review tab or button on the top right of the screen and fill it out and we'll get right back to you. Or you can give our office a call at 800-557-5461. Now this is Invest Talk. Thank you for helping us achieve nearly 45 million downloads in our history. And next up, another caller question. So hang on. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. InvestTalk is a free download, 24-7, rain or shine. The InvestTalk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hi, this message is for either Steve or Justin. I want to know your thoughts on Chemical Core. I believe the ticker symbol is CCJ. I had this stock for a few months now, and it's gone up to 50%. Just want to know if I should sell and sell how much. Looking forward to your thoughts on the podcast. Thanks. Uh, this is Kamiko, and this is the largest uranium miner in the Western Hemisphere. And most of their production is in the U.S. and Canada. They have some in Kazakhstan as well. But pretty big, $15 billion market cap. And obviously, this is a bet on the nuclear renaissance and the demand for uranium to go higher. There's definitely a nuclear renaissance in China. They're building... Over 100, I think 150 plants. And that's going to need uranium. And the uranium price continues to march higher. And I think it has room to run. Uh, we've owned Chemico for a while now. And we still like it. We like it a lot. Uh, it, we think it'll continue. We've been buying it, I think, since the, the high teens. Now it's at 34. It was trading in a trading range in the low 20s and, and, low 30s for a while for about a year and we kept accumulating anytime it got got into that low 20 level now we're at 34 and change and, and has broken out above all resistance and it stayed there it's not just been there for a day or a week multiple weeks and so i think it's 
we think it's headed higher. Uh, do you trim here? Maybe potentially a, a little bit, but because uh, there are some risks, there's always risks with the with a nuclear disaster around the world that could happen. Uh, obviously, just end demand for for energy, et cetera, that could ebb. But overall, we think if you want to greenify the electric grid, you're going to need nuclear. And that's why the trend in the space is for more deployment of nuclear, which probably is going to happen here in this country as well. So we like it. Now let's go to Dan in Walnut Creek wants to talk about brokerage accounts. Hey, Justin, how are you doing today? Good, good. 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 Hey, um, so I have a brokerage account and um, back um, when you guys were talking about the um, like the tech stocks, the high flying tech stocks and all, we're going to start, you know, losing their value. Um, I was sitting on a lot of profits, but I kind of froze because I was afraid and I didn't sell because I was afraid of um, the tax implications. I wonder if there's a, is there a strategy that you follow um, when you want to take some profits from the brokerage accounts? Um, the only thing I can think of is like sell some, you know, losses at the same time and try to even it out so you don't get too much by taxes. And I was wondering if you had any other suggestions. Well, number one would be try to make sure your gains are a longer term. So that's one is focusing on any uh, any lots. You know, sometimes you buy more, uh, different lots. You buy it over time. And some of those shares are long term. Others might be short term. So making sure that anything you're selling is, is longer term. Uh, but the the best advice here is learn this lesson that paying taxes is sometimes a good thing. It is a good thing, right? It means you made money. The number one mistake I've seen throughout my history of, of helping people and talking to people is what you just did, which is make a decision solely based on taxes. You knew, right? You listened to the show. You knew you should have taken profits. You knew prices were going to go down, but you didn't sell because you didn't, didn't want to pay taxes. Well, right. this happens all the time. And what people do is they hold until, guess what? There are no more taxes to pay because you are now down. You're losing money. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it went, it went down quite a bit. I, yeah. So, yeah. so um, would you rather sell and make money at a profit, pay some taxes, or would you rather go all the way down to no profit or maybe losing money? Right. Easy answer for me. Yep. So, I know. Well, it is. you know, learn your lesson. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you've hold, held them all the way through this recent rally and you're starting probably to see that rollover of those growth names and tech stocks again. Um, so for ev- this is a great call and it's a lesson for every one of our invest talk listeners is to don't get blinded by, oh, I don't want to pay taxes. The nut- that taxes are a factor but they almost never should be your first factor to consider. It should never be the primary driver of making a decision. And too often, people put avoiding taxes, deferring taxes above all else. And there are so many other factors, the risk profile that, that, that you're taking, the valuations of what you're holding, and those should be far more important than taxes. Now, once you make a decision, okay, I want to move in this direction, I want to reduce my risk, or I want to increase my exposure here or there or wherever, 
you can execute that plan in an efficient manner and sorry excuse me, a tax efficient manager ma manager tax efficient manner there we go that's what i'm trying to say that's what that's the way you you approach it is yeah how do you do that in a way that limits your tax liability sure but don't let it be the primary driver if you do you're probably going to be led astray okay hope that helps now this is invest talk I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. Jane's from New York. Hang on. We will get to you right after this break. And for everyone else out there, if you have a question, now's the time to call at 888-99-CHART. stock market is constantly changing, and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to James. He is in New York, and he wants to talk about KRP, which is Kimball Royalty Partners. Do you own it or are looking to buy it? Um, I own it, and I was thinking of adding to it. Um, I like the oil and natural gas space, and I was wondering if this might be sensible. I have it in my Roth IRA, and I was just hoping to hold it and reinvest dividends over time if this might be a long-term position. Well... The one thing I like, we had a call on this, I believe it was yesterday, and not this name, but another a couple other royalty companies. And I said, you know, the royalties run out. And so this is another one of those. But what they're doing is they're they're reinvesting in new royalty rights. So I like that they continue to kind of grow their acreage that they that they're buying. So that's a way for them to smartly allocate capital, not just pay it all out to, to shareholders and have some room left over to buy some uh some new royalty uh acreage so it's a it's a dividend payer now as you if you owned it for a while you know the dividend it's not always steady right it's up and down in 2018 they paid out about 45 cents a share then it dropped in 2020 all the way to 13 cents a share then went up to 55 cents a share as of uh, last august and now 39 cents a share right now so it's one of those names where the dividend is going to be up and down, probably based on how they're allocating their capital. Uh, overall, I think this is a a solid royalty play. Now, the big question is, what is your other oil exposure? Do you have any larger E&P companies? Do you have oil service companies? Or are you just looking for high dividend oil names? No, I do. I have larger exposure. This was okay. just something to, just as a read. And I mean, I'm not overweight in the space. Mm -hmm. So, how long have I you owned this it. for? Yeah. So. Uh, about a year and a half. Okay. So, you know, it's a Luna partnership. You get a K1, et cetera, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, 
nice dividend, but no, it's tax return income tax rate. So your your eyes are wide open. You know that. Uh, so I, I'm fine with it. I'm fine fine with adding to it. Uh, once again, it's a it's a good name. That's uh, that's a it's a good operator. Uh, it seems long term, good allocator of capital. So I'd give this one a thumbs up. That's KRP Kimball Royalty Partners, a limited partnership. Remember that. All right. Now, lastly, let's touch a bit on the banks and get a lot of calls. What do you think of this regional bank? What do you think of this regional bank? And all they're doing is looking at the earnings. But what you can see by the bond market is that while the regional banks have rallied since the beginning of July, you've seen a nice rally in the KBW NASDAQ Bank Index, 9% since the start of July. The regional banking index of the smaller lenders, that's up 17% since the beginning of July. But Moody's downgraded 10 of these regional banks and 17 more they put on review for potential a potential cut in their ratings, negative outlook, right? So what they cite is that rising deposit costs and risk to commercial property and construction loans because of the remote work shift is causing higher risk to these names. And the earnings announcement recently have showed that, yeah, their deposit outflows have stopped, but it's at the cost of profitability. And ultimately, that's a problem, right? In order to pay back the debt, they need to remain relatively profitable. And so they are, in my mind, not great risks and rewards because of that. And Moody's is acknowledging that. And they see there's tougher capital requirements. So instead of money going to equity holders, it's going to shore up the balance sheet, right? Retain more capital, pay down debt. Now that's good for bondholders, but not necessarily good for equity holders. And Moody's applied about a 15% haircut to the value of banks' residential mortgages, which they have a lot of those. So duration risk is, is still there. And you see with the tenure going up, that's something that could make, could cause more market jitters. So I wanted to highlight that because I'm still getting a lot of calls on this. And remember, it doesn't nothing's absolute here. It's not black or white. It's risk versus reward. And uh, Moody's is highlighting how a lot of these regional banks still are pretty iffy risk versus reward. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.